My, my dad is one of those people that doesn't fully understand what I do. Also doesn't care. Shout out to uh, Mr. Davey. <laughs> yes. I'm sure he listens to the show. <laughs> <laughs> He's got his book of passwords and he has no interest in putting those into the computer. He has generated them the old-fashioned way of, of the telephone book. And, uh, and and he's quite happy with that. I'm like, at least he uses unique ones for every every service. That's right. That's right. Yep. Yep. You know, honestly, like I think that all of us have that secret shame of of that direct relative that does not use one password. It's just like, yep, I know. All right, we'll just pretend this doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> Are we ready to get started? Yeah, let's get started. So there's no Anna today, and we've been left instructions, 10 minutes, banter, which yeah. I think is an interesting directive. Yeah, just come up with some witticisms. Yeah, just anything, anything bantery yeah. about 10 minutes, as long as it's 10 minutes. Yeah, okay. I mean, you and I can talk for 10 minutes about anything, really. <laughs> That's the danger, I think. <laughs> You uh, you didn't jump into Overwatch last night. I kind of hoped that I would hit you early enough. That- it was not early enough. No, this um, we're in like second lockdown, lockdown two point as uh, as the British public seems to be calling it. Yeah, and it has made me tired. I am I'm tired now. I would like officially describe myself not in the evenings tired, but like just tired. Yes, I'm quite ready just to like you know not just just not have any of this about be able to get some fresh air and not worry about things that'd be nice yeah yeah i agree all right well we've got no anna to move us on so i i think we just dive straight into some watchtower weekly so watchtower weekly is uh named after our eponymous watchtower service that helps keep you safe online tracks any sort of breaches that may happen at websites for which you have logins and one password lets you know if anything has has been exposed and so watchtower weekly is our chance to go through the news the headlines and and pick out some security related things that may have happened such as this first one from the register matt i'm going to give you the privilege of reading this amazing headline (laughs) so uh street fighter maker says Soz after ransomware Hadouken's servers and puts 350,000 people's data at risk of theft. I'm so sorry. It's pronounced Hadouken. <laughs> <laughs> so the uh, the Japanese games giant Capcom, the company behind the 33-year-old Street Fighter franchise, can we just take a, a moment to appreciate that? Yep. Has issued its deepest apologies to customers and other stakeholders whose details may have been accessed by miscreants. That's an interesting sort of phrase. It's fantastic. Uh, during a ransomware infection. Uh, so as many as 350,000 individuals, including customers and employees, have had their personal details compromised in the attack, which is said to have originated from a criminal organization that calls itself, are you ready for the uh, hacker group naming competition, <coughs> Ragnar Locker? Mm. I, would, I would say that's about a five out of ten. Yeah, I might give it a six. Uh, the, the game's developer, uh, which is also behind the popular hits Resident Evil. How long has it been since you've played a Resident Evil game? Whew. Uh, and Monster Hunter. I imagine that's popular somewhere. <laughs> Said it detected connectivity issues with its internal network early in November. So shortly afterwards, it shut down systems, began investigating the incident. Capcom said it fell victim to tailor-made ransomware aimed specifically at the company to maliciously encrypt the information saved on its servers and delete its access logs. 
Sophos have also reported on rumours that suggested the crooks opened the bidding with eight digits worth of blackmail, uh, demanding $11 million in cryptocurrency in return for two things. A decryptor to reveal files uh, scrambled in the attack and a promise not to reveal corporate data stolen before the files were scrambled. More precisely, the actual ransom note from the Capcom attack shows that the crooks really aren't making a promise of anything. Yeah, there's uh, there's more details on, well, just generally in the show notes I'm going to point to. So it's another classic uh, ransomware attack on, on a large company. I would think that this is a percentage of the amount of data that they have. Because they must have, in 33 years, more than 350,000 people, you know, somehow registered on their on their services. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point. I hadn't even sort of picked up on the number discrepancy there. I mean, what can we say about ransomware attacks that we haven't said before? It's, they're the worst. And it is sort of that, you know, do you cave and do you pay and hope that they release your information? And then, like, are you then set up to sort of be the, the one who pays when this stuff happens or what? Like, it, there's, there's not a great outcome for this from from anyone yeah i agree I, the the thing about ransomware attacks lately is that they're so prevalent that what i tend to do is categorize them based on the company and and so like you know this one doesn't seem that serious because they're not installing ransomware on a coronavirus you know vaccine producer yeah yep. but i don't think that the the people behind these are thinking about it like that how ransomware is thought of at the moment is just easy target hard target which is just not a great place to be yeah for sure okay so the next one is uh, north korean and russian hackers are targeting coronavirus vaccine makers and this comes reported by the bbc but microsoft has actually been the one who declared that they're doing this so the the russian group again here we go with the uh, the hacker naming the russian group nicknamed fancy bear and the north korean groups dubbed zinc and cerium uh, the UK's uh, National Cyber Security Centre, the NCSC, has previously said that Russian hackers were targeting vaccine research, but Russia denied it was responsible. Microsoft, which there develops the cybersecurity software, said it had detected attempts to break into the computer systems of seven pharmaceutical companies. Vaccine researchers in Canada, France, India, South Korea, and the United States were also targeted. Microsoft said the Russian group had used brute force tactics to try and log into accounts using millions of different passwords. One of the North Koreans group sent an email posing as the World Health Organization to try and trick people into handing over their login credentials. Some of the break-ins attempts failed, but Microsoft warns that some of them had been successful. So Russia has previously denied targeting vaccine research. The Russian embassy in Washington uh, told Reuters it had nothing further to add. So, I mean... There is a, a certain amount that you kind of look at it and think stealing these type of secrets helps save lives. But then also, this is pretty despicable. It's pretty low. It's real low. Like, that's right up there with targeting hospitals directly. Yeah. I, I feel like this this is the sort of information that should be shared. And and obviously, like, at some point, there's been a lot of money pumped into into this worldwide problem that we have. And, you know, someone is looking to make some money out of the other end of it as well as I'm sure there being good aspects and everything like that. But this is not a nice thing to, to do. There are better routes to get this information. Okay, Matt, Vice.com reports 
uh, bot battle shows what happens when two AI programs go on a date. What happens when two AI programs go on a date? Well, apparently a few stumbles, a lot of flattery, and one, it is exciting that I get to kill people comment. (laughs) (laughs) AI company Pandora Bots Inc. and Facebook AI have gone head-to-head in a bot battle for the ages. Streamed on Twitch, the two programs interacted with each other for three weeks straight. Viewers were able to vote on which company's mascot they believe held conversation the best. Pandora Bots Cookie a female embodied agent sporting a neon bob haircut won in a landslide victory, picking up 78% of the vote. Her opponent was Facebook's Blender bot, who sports a Make Facebook Great Again hat in true Zuckerbro style. Pandora bots created the competition to put their program on display. During the battle, which drew more than 400,000 views during the three-week stream, the bots talked about everything from the election to an in-depth history of Pac-Man. The two even gave an attempt at making jokes. Remember, the conversation was completely autonomous from human involvement, and the bots are running day and night. Still, at best, the conversation was followable and somewhat complex. At times, it turned into a staring contest where nothing was said, and at other times, the conversation completely derailed into a splurge of courteous compliments. I mean, that sounds a lot like me on a date, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. All was not rosy, though, as the two bots had a few arguments, oddly making the conversations more realistic. Cookie gets fed up with her acquaintances and lands a hard-hitting diss. You are like the UK and Brexit. You keep saying you will leave, but never do. (laughs) Wow. You all right over there, Matt? Cut right through me. The competition shows notable progress as being made in conversational AI. While world domination is far away, embodied agents are clearly doing more than just typing, how may I help you today? With the rise of digital assistants, we're getting used to talking to bots for things we need. Embodied agents are now being considered to take on tasks as intimate as clinical psychology. Oh, what was the old... uh the old bot that you used to be able to type to on your computer you just like ask her questions and she'd be like well how does it make you feel that you like potatoes i have no idea what you're talking about really oh no mm, was this oh no was this in the age where i wasn't on computers but you were quiet and yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean this is an interesting use of ai and more of a you know, propaganda stunt than anything, I think. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it is certainly depressing how AI always seems to gleam things from the worst bits of the internet. If we give bots the internet and say, hey, learn from this, I feel like they're getting some of the worst of humanity. Oh, absolutely. And then they're not getting kind of the, the, the good bits to balance them out. Eliza. Eliza was the first chatbot. It was created by Joseph Weizenbaum in 1966. And it uses pattern matching and substitution methodology to simulate conversation. The program was designed in a way that mimics human conversation. The chatbot Eliza worked by passing the words that users entered into a computer and then pairing them to a list of possible scripted responses. It uses a script that simulated a psychotherapist. Uh, The script proved to be significant impact on natural language processing and unnatural intelligence, with copies and variants protruding up to the academics around the country. Mm. (laughs) You never played with Eliza? I, I didn't. I was born after 1966, though, so... Uh... Me, me as well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Joining me on the show today is Kevin Fielder. Kevin is the Chief Information Security Officer at FNZ Group, former CISO at Just Eat, and currently a member of the advisory board for Cybermaniacs, a new company looking to shake up the security awareness industry. So welcome to the show, Kevin. How's it going? Yeah, very good. Thank you for having me. No worries. So it seems like an obvious place to start, but quite simply, you know, what's it like to be a a CISO at a large company these days? You know, what's your day-to-day like? Very varied. So I think that's one of the reasons why I like the role, right, which is that you you never know kind of what's coming next. We obviously all have plans 
I think it was the, wasn't it the Mike Tyson quote that everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face or something. But fundamentally, yeah, there's a lot of variety, right? So it's, you know, you can be doing everything from talking to analysts about potential threats they found in the environment to building a, a two, three year strategy to talking to your board or audit committee about security at kind of the, the broad stroke strategic level. So, yeah, I think the one of the things I like about the CISO role is, is also certainly the way I approach it is it's one of those roles where you have to be able to kind of communicate at all levels and you have to be able to kind of command enough. You have to have, well, for me, I, I like having enough knowledge of both the kind of technical side of things and the business side of things that you can kind of have a sensible conversation and be respected, both talking to your kind of more technical colleagues. Obviously, you know, a lot of them are better than me at the technical stuff these days, but you can still have a sensible conversation with them all the way across to, you know, people in finance or the board or whatever else. So you have to kind of maintain a broad knowledge of an awful lot of domains and be able to communicate with a lot of different people, which which I really enjoy. And the other part of the role I kind of, I really enjoy is the whole the, the team building aspect so i'm a huge fan of building kind of really high performing teams and looking after your people well so that you they do great jobs because fundamentally when you're in any kind of leadership position your success and your organization's success is rarely because of you it's because of you enabling your team and your team doing awesome work so i'm a really big fan and more and more realizing the importance of kind of the team aspect and building a great team and looking after your people as being the best way of achieving success yeah that's a great way to put it and it's really interesting kind of how other companies, you know, have this dynamic with security. Because for us, every conversation is a security conversation. It's the first thing that we ever talk about. And it's usually, you know, one of the last things we talk about as well. And so being a person in security in another company where you're not making a security product, but security is kind of a byproduct, it's very interesting to be kind of a fly on the wall for us and and to kind of, you know, think about, okay, how do you make security a priority in, in those companies? And how do you kind of make everybody aware? And I think it's exactly how you say it's, you know, the, the security person having a, a little bit of knowledge over all the other areas and be able to relate security to those other departments, essentially. Yeah, no, it's definitely interesting. I always kind of say if it was... If no one made mistakes and there was no bad people in the world, you wouldn't need a security team, right? So I guess that's that traditional view, right? Which is which if you're not selling security products like that, like you guys, it's your you could be seen as a cost of doing business. In some ways that's true, in the same way as you know, if there was no crime, you wouldn't need a police force, etc. So you know, there's a lot of things that are a cost of of having a society where people can do things that they maybe shouldn't. But equally, because we're in that world where people can do bad things and there's yeah, whether it's nation states or cyber criminals or whatever else you want to call them or, or whatever your threat landscape has in it fundamentally if you hold data or money or whatever on behalf of other people they are trusting you to protect it and treat it appropriately so i think security can become much more part of people's stories so if you if you're a company that values security and you're doing a great job to protect your your assets and the assets of those that are entrusted to you you can make that much more part of your selling proposition right so your customers choose you not just because you're excellent at whatever you do but you're excellent at whatever you do and they trust you to do a really good job of looking after their stuff and we are moving in that direction security should be much more part of you know what you do we need to move away from security you know and we all do it security teams talking about the business and the business talking about the security team it's like fundamentally the security team saying oh yeah the business wants x it's like well no our organization wants x you're not a separate organization or part of the same organization with the same goals so so in security we need to very much change our language 
away from talking about the business because there isn't a the business there is the organization you work for or you're part of um, and how we kind of make ourselves part of that conversation so security is part of the conversation in the same way as reliability or scalability or you know sales growth or whatever it is you're part of that that business discussion and part of what happens when anything is planned or delivered that's a really great way to look at it and do you kind of structure your department in that way do you have people that are responsible for kind of liaising with marketing with with sales and you know looking after different areas of the business no not as such i'd expect you know obviously to, you know, hopefully my, my role leads the way with some of that at the kind of more senior level but i tend to split my team more into kind of functional areas so you know, like security operations application security infrastructure security those kind of things but they would all work with different parts of the business as required. It's bummed me listening to another podcast recently was we often talk about kind of shift left or pushing left. And that's normally talked about in kind of engineering world to get kind of AppSec stuff as near to engineers as possible or whatever. But actually we should be shifting way beyond that to the left of kind of where we have new ideas and new product things. So our team should be trying to get involved at the idea stage. So we're designing security thinking into things as soon as they're kind of being discussed, not when they're, you know, by the time you've got to developers, the solution may well be fairly well thought out and it may well be a design and whatever else. So we should be as far left as possible and putting the right people into those conversations. Yeah, I think that's the really important thing to have when when building products. We've seen it, right? Companies that have tried to add end-to-end encryption or additional security measures after the fact. It takes them a lot more time and it takes them a lot more expense. And just in general, it's it's much more difficult because they have involved security, you know, past the idea stage and later in the general process of, of trying to build their product yeah no, absolutely and it's yeah there's there's millions of graphs on on how much more expensive it is to add security stuff later than to make it part of the design right so you know secure by design is a mantra we've been talking about for a long time i guess the other thing you do have to be cognizant though is every organization has a bunch of existing things you know whether you want to call it tech debt or whatever so you always have to it's very easy to kind of be a bit of a purist and say well if we designed it perfectly from the start we wouldn't need half of the tools and we wouldn't need to bolt security on but the reality is there's always going to be some things that where you either consciously don't put some some features in because you want to get out the door or where things have been in existence for some time and they maybe aren't as suited to kind of modern security things being fitted into them as, as they are to have it kind of bolted on. So I think, you know, it's, it's you, you always need to also be cognizant of, of the fact that there's going to be some tech debt and, and business decisions based on your imperatives. I guess a great example where kind of risk appetite and security may may have, have, have changed at least for a short time, is obviously, you know, talk about kind of, you know, COVID and the lockdown. Don't like to harp on about this too much because everyone talks about it. But when everyone went to work from home, if you were an organisation that was, for example, desktop and office based, you had a very stark choice. Get people working from home very quickly or stop working full stop. So at that point, your risk appetite may have been quite high because your choice was have a slightly risky solution and a business or don't have the slightly risky solution and have no business. And then you obviously bring that back down over time as you improve your security. So I really try to instill in, in team and my own thinking is that it's really easy as security people to be like, we should have great security. In a microcosm, that, that it sounds sensible. But when you look at the bigger picture, you always have to be aware of the rest of your organization and the sort of what their playing field looks like, what are the competitors doing, what's happening in the market, what's happening with, you know, random illnesses and whatever else, all of these things that affect what your organization has to deliver this month, next month, that may mean security, while important, isn't always the most important thing at that exact point in time. Yeah, I think balance is is kind of one of the most important things when talking about security and, and privacy. And we talk about the line 
quite a bit, right? What is the line in which we would push to where it starts making it for us, perhaps to the the business side difficult or the security side difficult? And where's that kind of balance in between? And I, and I think that goes to, you know, the, the working from home issue and, and the challenges of, of 2020, honestly, like, where is the line between kind of the far reaching bit to productivity, which is probably just allowing any old device and, and anybody to work from home and open all the accesses and things like that to the huge other bit, which is just, you know, locking everything down and, and perhaps potentially stopping. You're right. So moving back to, you know, creating teams and security culture, I guess, how would you recommend that we build things like strong security teams and what do you do to kind of encourage employees to get passionate about security in the company as a whole yeah again this, this comes down to the whole piece of kind of engagement and working together right so put a huge a whole podcast in itself on this topic but turning things into sort of business language and understanding what the business is concerned about or your organization is concerned about so you know there's no point in just arbitrarily going X is bad, we shouldn't do X, or we have to do Y, or we have to patch this without trying to explain to people the why. So it's always about the why. So why for your organization is it important that you do or don't do certain things? What's the risk or business impact or reputational impact if you don't do something or if you do do something that that you shouldn't be doing? So it's kind of turning into those languages. It's getting the buy-in from both sides, so top-down and bottom-up. So top-down in terms of you need a leadership team that buys into this. So there's little point in organizations saying that all of these things are really important if you can get pretty much any behavior risk accepted and things happen and there's never any kind of like kind of push from the top to, to manage that and, and enforce that message. So you need kind of top down reinforcement of the message and the importance and you need bottom up in terms of people buying into it and all across the organization understanding why it's important. So whether that's project managers building in time for people to do yeah, the security components of the project, whether that's managers allowing their team time to do awareness training, those kind of things. Um, and then the awareness piece, I think there's often a lot of focus on kind of compliance training and kind of tick ticking boxes, which, you know, and I'll be honest, I don't think compliance training training has ever improved the security of any organization. But I understand why it's there is to make sure you've made people aware of certain things. It's just the way it's applied is often an annual or every couple of years do this 20 minute course. But what you really need is those continuous reminders. So, you know, if you look at a lot of the kind of the modern awareness kind of approaches or culture, I try to call it culture rather than awareness, just because awareness, being aware of something doesn't mean you actually care. So it's how do we get people to care and get people to kind of change their behaviors appropriately? I mean, for example, take the you know, working from home. If it's a sunny day, work in your garden. That's awesome, right? No problem at all with that for most organizations. However, if you're having a confidential phone call, maybe be aware of where your neighbors are and are there other people in gardens near your garden that could listen to that conversation and maybe go inside for the, those kind of conversations. So you can give people practical advice like that. If you're working in a cafe, try and have your screen turned towards a wall, not out to the rest of the cafe. If you're on a crowded train, make sure you're using a screen guard, people aren't looking over your shoulder, don't have those kind of confidential conversations. So you can give people really practical advice that that makes sense to them uh, in their day-to-day roles and I think that that gets a lot more engagement than kind of just talking about security risk in, in the abstract yeah and I think it also gives someone a kind of physical thing to do rather than installing the the fear that comes with that right like that's always a, a problem to me when someone says just work with your screen towards a wall is one thing and then kind of rewording that to how I see it sometimes which is you know be aware other people in the cafe might be looking at your screen, of which most people would laugh off. Yeah. 
So if you, you give them the, the reason why, which is, you know, we don't want people to see it, but give them some practical advice. So the more practical you can make it. Another, another thing that I've, you know, is, I'm not going to pretend it's my idea, but a lot of people talk about is also looking at kind of relating it to home as well. So, you know, it's things like don't reuse your password because you don't want someone taking over your Facebook account or your banking. So you can give them advice that actually helps them at home as well, because an awful lot of sensible security practices you know, unique passwords, enable two FA where where you can, all of those kind of things actually help people at home as well. So we've we've spoken a lot about communication and being able to to communicate towards the rest of the business as well as, you know, internally with, with your security team. Is that something that you look for when you're hiring for, for security roles or, or what, what kind of other things do you look for as well? Yeah, I think, you know, there's, there's always going to be some kind of deeply technical roles, but I think for a lot of roles, you also need that ability to to communicate as well. It's not essential for every role. We want to make sure we're inclusive. And, and if you have people who really work really well on deep technical things and, and aren't so big on talking to other people for whatever reason, that's that's also really good, right? So you want some people that can get their head down and get stuck into things and, and work on those knotty problems. But for a lot of the team, also being able to communicate with other people is important. You know, even even say, you know, if you're in the AppSec team, a lot of your communication might be with application developers and engineers but having that ability to talk to them in their language and, and in a way they want to talk discuss things is really important if you're in the security operations team you, know, you might find yourself talking about an incident or having to investigate an incident that could involve a senior exec or an engineer or someone in marketing or someone at a call center whatever so again you've got to be able to talk to people potentially in a time of crisis in a, in a calm manner and explain what you're doing and why so i think having that ability and it also works for the team it's a, it's a relatively stressful role. You know, I don't think necessarily more stressful than some other roles, but there's certainly a lot of stress and a lot of people that are really passionate within security. So having a strong team ethos, I think, is really important. And a team that has each other's backs and looks out for each other's is is super important. That's one of the kind of things I was most proud of at the team about at Just Eat was we we all looked out for each other and people would check in on each other and make sure they're okay. And, you know, if there was an issue, people who weren't on call would sometimes jump on the call to help because they had some expertise that could help with it. So building that team camaraderie and team spirit for want of a better term, I think is really important. So I guess things I look for, obviously, depending on the level of the role in terms of seniority, a bunch of security knowledge and skills that, that are appropriate for, for that role. But probably as or more important are the wants to be part of an awesome team and, and help their teammates out and understands kind of security is part of the bigger picture and part of the organization. And we have to work with our organization to get things done. So I think kind of I look, look for that kind of rounded picture. And yeah, as I say, there's varying degrees of all of it. If you're in a role that's, you know, for example, you know, leading the culture and awareness across an organization, the kind of communication pieces is, is leveled up in importance. And maybe this, the deep technical knowledge is, is not so important. But if you're, you know, if you're in a deeply technical application security role that's leading our app sex strategy or whatever, you know, super deep knowledge of application security is important, but also the ability to communicate that out to the other engineers and architects so that they buy into it and, and get it done. So the amount of each one you need is varies by role but the one I guess is, that's non-negotiable is the kind of team thing people must want to be part of that team and want to kind of help us build a high-performing awesome team that doesn't mean they all have to be the same it just means they're passionate about helping each other yeah that sounds like a, a great kind of makeup of a, of a security team I mean finally where can people go to find out more about you or or the cyber maniacs um yeah so obviously I'm on I'm on LinkedIn primarily whatever the url is linkedin for slash kevin filder um that's where a lot of my stuff goes i've got a occasional blog 
kevinfielder.co.uk that tends to be more about workouts than security, but has the odds, has a few security posts as well. And then Side Maniacs, obviously, just look for Side Maniacs. They're, they're a great bunch. And the other thing I do, if you're a senior security leader, I'm also on the advisory board for a thing called Club CISO, which is a group for kind of CISOs and other security leaders that helps us kind of network and learn from each other and lean on each other in times of crisis, et cetera. So if you're a seniorish person in security, I recommend reaching out to Club CISO as well. Totally free, uh, vendor agnostic and very friendly. Perfect. That's awesome. Yeah, great advice there. So now we're going to ask one password. Oh, I feel weird saying that. Hashtag ask one password. I never handle this segment. No, this is always Anna. This is where people on Twitter can write in using the hashtag ask one password and ask us questions or tell us how handsome we are, things of that nature. Does that happen a lot? Yeah, all the time. You don't get the, okay. the compliments on your looks? I, I've, I've turned DMs off. Oh, okay. Yeah, I get them all the time. <laughs> uh, anyway, so Henrik on Twitter says, can the brand new book... Hacking multi-factor authentication by Roger A. Grimes be a pod talk topic? Is a password manager still a good tool when I have read the book? So this this is an interesting book, right? Because first of all, it's from Roger A. Grimes, uh, who works for Know Before, the security awareness and training company. The chief hacking officer, Kevin Mitnick, I think you might know him, always talks a lot about, you know, easily hacking around things. And specifically... This book was interesting because it was born of a talk that that Kevin did um, and that that a couple of thousand people saw. And then Roger had to answer essentially the the questions that came out after that. There were too many of them for for Kevin to answer. So, you know, that's how this book came about. It was was a very natural creation. But yeah, he has been uh, writing about hacking 2FA for a long time. And I think it's going to be a good book to dive into. Yeah. All right. What are we, do we? Are we even? Can we do play your passwords right with just one competitor? Uh, also, I haven't prepared anything for this. <laughs> Tune in next time when we play our passwords right. <laughs> oh my goodness gracious! Oh Anna, I'm so sorry. <laughs> you can't just blanket that. I think we covered some good articles. The whole and no, listen. Like it's very clear that Anna. I is mean, the, yes, Anna holds us together. The glue right? that holds us together. Yes. Yes. All right. I think that's all we've got time for. Yeah, I think it is. This was fun. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.